Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Marie Estorch, who is the author of Then There Was Larry and In the Middle of Otherwise, writing under the name Marie Attenay. Marie also published two best-selling memoirs, Stork Bites and Confessions of a Bipolar Mardi Gras Queen. Marie is a member of the Squaw Valley Community of Writers and has been the keynote speaker at writers' conferences and self-publishing events. Her essays have appeared in numerous publications to include the San Francisco Chronicle, Knob Hill Gazette, East Bay Times, and Diablo Magazine. Marie is a master springboard diver, avid reader, and modern wire basket maker. She holds an MBA and is an accountant for several San Francisco Bay Area startups and a global video game company. She and her sons live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we have so much to dive into today, Marie. So let's get into this and welcome. Thank you, Summer. I'm thrilled to be here. Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. So before we actually dive into your professional background, because there's a lot there, can you give us a picture of where you grew up and who were some of your biggest influencers over the years and how this guided and formed you into the person you are today? So I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm Southern. I come from a really large Catholic family. There were nine kids. And everything from the outside looked perfect. We were an affluent family, but things on the inside were pretty crazy. There was alcoholism, abuse, murder, suicide. And so, you know, I'd watched Mary Tyler Moore and look at that and think, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to live in a big city and be just like her with a career. Or I'd watch the Oscars and see all of these incredible movies that never came to our town and think, I want to be in a place where I can see so much and do stuff where it's almost limitless. So after college, I just packed up my car. I drove from state to state, city to city. And when I got to San Francisco, I loved it. And I called my father and said, I'm staying. I found the place. I've been here now 30 plus years. Wow. Oh my goodness. So you pretty much grew up in San Francisco as well. So you're a yes. southerner, but you're also a a, a Western California <laughs> woman as well. So, yes. Okay. Gotcha. And obviously your life has evolved in several different ways. Who were some of your influences growing up? When I was really young, I read a lot of biographies of women who had done amazing things and I would just check out a book or two a week from the library so I think reading really helped me to see what was possible I also loved movie stars so women who really broke out in their careers and 
I've always loved art. So I took art lessons. So I was around a lot of artists and that really inspired me. And then I had for you know more of my financial background, I had a professor in college who went to Harvard and I'd always wanted to go to Harvard, but my dad wouldn't allow us to go to school out of town. And I just thought, you know, I wanted to be around really intelligent people, people who were curious, asking questions, just people improving themselves. Yeah, I love that. I also love biographies like The Coal Miner's Daughter and and Esther Williams and different women who have just, through hardships and challenges and diversity, talk about how they've overcome those things in their lives. And for me, those biographies, I'm sure it sounds like you as well, were really pieces that I could learn from and that were exciting because you did see people having challenges in their life and how they overcame those challenges in different ways. Yes. One of the first biographies I read or autobiographies I read of a businesswoman, I was so amazed that she's started this small computer company and just grew it to multi-million dollar company and sold it, you know, because it seemed like a male industry early on. And so to see this woman have such success and really come to the table and lean in, it was a great inspiration. Yeah, that's exciting to hear because I really do love books and how they can inspire and motivate, right? Us to do different things in our lives as well. So you do have quite a diverse background from author to avid reader, wire basket maker, accountant, and mom. So tell us a bit about your passions and how these developed over the years. I took up springboard diving at age 36, which is pretty late in the game. My sons were taking swim lessons at a school here. And one day there was a middle-aged man on the high dive on the three meter diving board. And I asked the coach if I could take lessons because we had always, you know, done flips and dives off of our country club swimming pools when we were growing up. And I thought, God, that would be so much fun. And when I asked the coach, he said, well, your kids are too young. And I said, I'm asking for myself. Uh So from that, I started with private lessons and I just built up the skills. You had to have five dives to join the team. And within a couple of weeks, I had those. So I had a lot of courage. And I'm also sort of a thrill seeker, daredevil. And I've since then, I've competed at um, one national or several national meets and one international, as well as a lot of local meets. From that, also, I began coaching high school dives. So in our area, we had four main high schools, and they needed a coach. So I took on, became the varsity coach, and really built up the programs. I had a lot of divers who were award-winning medalists at the North Coast Championships. And it was real. I loved working with the divers, the kids, they were so enthusiastic. And to see one of them really struggle with a dive and then get it, it was sort of like when you hear people say the light bulb went off, it was very satisfying. And I also love arts and crafts. So I make sculptures, I 
um, just recently made a sculpture, a collage on a mannequin, and then I had it made into a lamp. And it's in my living room, and it's so cool. I love it. So I'm always learning how to do new things. So I took up basket making, but rather than using traditional materials, I use steel wire and beads, yarn, other things. And I love it. And I've ha sold those at festivals and online. So it's really cool to put my work out there and see that it resonates with people. Oh, absolutely. I love all of that creativity and that courage to do that diving and then go on to mentor and teach students. I think that's wonderful. So bravo to you, my friend. So let's move on and let's talk a bit about your books. Oh, wow. Then there was Larry in the middle of otherwise stork bites and confessions of a bipolar Mardi Gras queen. Can you give us a quick overview of each of these books and tell us which was the most difficult to write and maybe why? Stork Bites, which was my first memoir, was the most difficult to write. My parents had both died within nine months of each other, a sudden, sudden deaths. I had a marriage that was failing. I was a new mom. So I was struggling with a lot of um, depression, anger, hopelessness. And I decided to start writing. One of my sisters had said that journaling had really helped her. So I began and within a year, I had 2000 handwritten pages that would become the material for my first book. And when I first started reading, I would take writing classes or go to conferences. And when I read all these secrets that you know we never talked about in our family, you know, the abuse that we suffered by my mother, the alcoholism, having her taken away for years or months at a time, I would shake so hard because it was like my body was purging all of these, you know, difficult emotions. And so I published that. I was very fearful that people would judge me or that it would create a backlash in and there was some backlash to the book because it outed my family basically but also I received so much love and people would write or stop me in the grocery store and they would say I can really relate to what you wrote I thought I was the only one and that it touched people was such a worthwhile endeavor besides it helping me and then Confessions of a Bipolar Mardi Gras Queen was the second memoir. And it's a collection of linked essays that deal with shortly after a breakup, a really bad breakup, I was diagnosed bipolar. And that diagnosis was a lifesaver. It really explained to me a lot of my erratic behavior. I found medication that worked. And, you know, it's been almost 20 years that I've been taking it. And I love it. I feel like a new person. And as a result, I'm a better mother and my life is more stable. So I wrote about different things, you know, love versus lust, um, the legacy of abuse. So those are all in that essay and, or in that book. And some of the essays are, were published in magazines. My, then I went, I published a novel called 
in the middle of otherwise. And it deals with two protagonists who are both trying to achieve something by the end of the day. Their lives intersect and they end up, it comes to a climax and, you know, there's a good outcome. And it's sort of a dark comedy. It was a lot of fun to write and I hope to be able to do more. And then after I wrote or I published, then there was Larry. And I would tell friends about this guy, Larry, that I dated and how we were set up by a very close friend. Well, it turned out after Larry and I broke up a couple of years later, I learned that he was arrested for child pornography. He was part of a huge um, sting called Operation Sunflower. He had cameras in his house. He had a young girl living with him. He was a total creep. And my friend who I trusted, and she was um, somebody, I, she was another mother, and she seemed like a good person, but I felt very betrayed. So I had a lot of questions. What did I miss? What was I not looking at? How was my judgment so poor? I decided to write about this as a cautionary tale. And also what I discover along the way is so bizarre. And I hope that it can help people, men and women, when they're going out there and they're meeting new people, that they really look for signs and they ask the right questions. I didn't ask enough questions. Yeah. And there was something that I read Regarding then there was Larry about a list of questions or some questions that you suggest asking when you are out there and being very upfront about what you want to know regarding Mm -hmm. the person that you're dating. And I think that's a smart idea. I thought, wow, okay, that's cool. Not only is she writing this book, but from this book, there are lots of questions she is suggesting to ask when you do meet that person that you might be interested in. Yes, so true. I mean, the first question you should ask is, have you ever been in jail? Maybe that might not be a deal breaker, but it's something you should know. And then why? And he was introduced to me as someone who didn't drink. Um, We were both alcoholics and neither of us drank. And so I should have asked, well, why did you quit drinking? You know, do you ever fall off the wagon? And what were some of the side effects of your drinking? Like, how did it impact your life? I didn't ask any of that. Yeah. Or even, I like the question too, what was the cause maybe of the drinking? What sparked your drinking? What continued that drinking? You know, there are just so many questions, right? And so I love that your book is really stimulating people to ask those questions. It's telling a story, but then it's also like, wow, the light bulb goes off. Know the person that you're dating, or at least try and know them a little better by asking the right questions. Yes. (laughs) So, wow, such interesting books. And there's so much depth and detail. How did you overcome some of these difficulties growing up regarding the abuse and the alcoholism and having your mother away for so long during periods of time? You know, when growing up, I always wanted to have children. And I thought I would never be the kind of mother that she was. I would never beat them or, you know, tell them horrible things. And I realized as a young mother, 
with no really good role models from my childhood that it was more difficult than I thought. And so I sought out, I did a lot of therapy. I read a lot of books. I watched people in my community, other moms and dads, and saw how they dealt like when their kids were breaking down in a tantrum, you know, rather than the parents screaming and having a fit also, how did they deal with it? And when I quit drinking, I thought no one will want to hang out with me because in my family, you were shunned if you didn't drink. And I found that almost 75% of my friends didn't drink, that alcohol wasn't what our friendships revolved on and our activities. So I just looked for role models and I therapy really helped. If you can't afford therapy, talk to people. I had a woman friend that we would walk around this reservoir for two hours once a week or sometimes twice a week. And we would take turns being each other's therapists, just sharing and providing feedback or listening. And it was so helpful. So you can get a lot out of just talking to other people and realizing that, you know, true friends will hear you out and they will not judge you. Or even if they don't agree with you, they will still love you. Yeah. And I think those are some wise, wise words. And sometimes it's just being with people that will allow you to express how you're feeling and what's going on in your life. And that in itself is very therapeutic. And so just for those listening out there as well, having worked in the nonprofit arena, there are a lot of places out there that are nonprofits that offer either free counseling or sliding scale fee type of counseling based on your income. So there's always counseling that is available somewhere. So Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I started out in nonprofit and I really loved it because I received mentorship and it was an internship that I was required to do. I was required to do an internship, two internships during my master's program. And so one of those was starting out in nonprofit. I chose that particular site and I did individual group marriage and community-based counseling and program development. And so I learned so much, but I had some great, great people that I worked with in regards to clients as well as other pet therapists. So I do know that there are services out there. It's just a matter of having access and being able to look for those resources as well. So now let's talk about, you've written for many online sites and periodicals such as the San Francisco Chronicle, Knob Hill Gazette, East Bay Times, Diablo Magazine. You've written these short stories for publications. Tell us a little bit about that. All right. So when I, I would just, when I would share a story with my friends and they were so excited to hear it, um, the diving, for instance, you yeah. know, when I started telling friends and other parents would watch me dive, then I felt like this could really inspire people. So I started submitting to magazines. And I think the Contra Costa Times was the first newspaper to print it. And it was really cool. The feedback is can be very addictive, you know, you to have people say, Oh, my God, that's so cool. I've always wanted to do this or that. I also wrote about, I became a handyman's assistant for a little bit, and just the fun of that, and 
so I just, it was fun to share all of some stories that I had in my pocket, I guess. And there was one story where I accidentally, I leaned down out of my car. I was on a very steep driveway. My kids were in the back seat. And I reached down to get the newspaper and my sandal slipped. I fell out of the car. The car with my kids went down this really steep driveway across this busy street, um, went through a fence and then headed for a tree. And all the while, like I, I got up, I was all scraped up and I'm yelling, you know, somebody call 911. And um, I'm you know, telling the kids, I love you. I'm so sorry. And I'm chasing them. They almost hit a tree and then they end up, the car just swerves on its own and then they hit another fence and stop. And I couldn't believe it. It was horrible, but they were, they were emotionally afraid, but they were physically okay. And when the firemen and the police came and all of that, I learned that a lot of people do something similar and people have rollover deaths, you know, more often than they should. People may put their car in park and then they'll go and move their garbage can and be killed. So I I thought this was a great story to share. And it was interesting, the feedback and, you know, people thinking, God, I've done that before. I'm never going to do it again. Yeah. Wow. What a story. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness your, your kids are okay. And, and nobody else was hurt. Right. Yeah. Thank goodness. That street is always so busy. I, I felt like we were so lucky. We were so blessed. Wow. I, I have had talked to other people where there has been tragedy in their lives because they did something similar. Didn't see the child behind the car and yeah. hit the, hit the kid and whatnot. So it, it's, it, there's a lot more of those stories than we realize. So, yeah. well, in the middle of otherwise deals with the grieving mother because she backed over and killed her son. And the where I got that idea is my friend was supposed to be watching my son and he had very thin but wispy blonde hair and he had sneaked out of the house while I was trying I was going to back up the car to get ready to pack for the airport. And just right before I was hitting the gas, I looked up and I saw some blonde hairs and I stopped and I thought I could have just killed my son. So Dave Edgar's wife, Vendela Villa, I'm butchering her name, but wrote about or suggested writing about what you fear the most. And that was one of the things I feared the most was causing irreparable harm to my children. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the people that I've spoken with before did do that. And um, it was just heart, heartbreaking. It just haunts her. And so in a complete accident yet, yeah. you know, her son's no longer here. And, and that is, is tragic and overwhelming. So. Yes. And I'm sure it, it's difficult for the family and, you know, dealing with all the emotions of loss and guilt. Even guilt. Though they're real, yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. All of those emotions. So we've talked about so much here. We've gone over somewhat of your personal journey as well as your professional journey, as well as your, your journey of writing. Now, as we come to the close of this interview, my last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? As far as dating, 
I would say, just like you should not go grocery shopping when you're hungry, I would not go start dating when you're feeling like there's a big hole in you. Really find a place where you love yourself, where you feel like you're, you have a good life and you are happy by yourself. And then you'll be in a place where you can seek someone who will be a good addition to your life, but they won't become your life. Uh, what great words of wisdom. And thank you, Marie, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you, Summer. It's been such a pleasure. Absolutely. You can connect and follow Marie Estorge on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Flickr, and Pinterest, as well as marieestorge.com and storkbitesmemoir.com. You can find her books on Amazon and other retailers. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great. Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.